bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast. And today, we've got the voice of cycling with us, Matthew Kinnan. How are you, Kinnan? I'm good. Welcome back to the country, Christoph. I know, it's been a long time, and uh, Europe is on my mind still, you know. It's uh, it's hard to leave uh, Europe behind. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's been a magnificent season of cycling. David McKenzie, he's gone back there. He can't get enough of it. I know, and then I don't know if you know the fact, but we uh, actually crossed paths in Milan. Maka and I, and we were in the same airport at about 10 minutes different, uh, but we didn't see each other. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even ships in the night. No, absolutely. Uh, talking about Europe, uh, let's talk about the European Championship that just concluded uh, over the, the weekend. And uh, yes, I'm smiling. You might not see in this podcast, I'm smiling because we've got a French winner. What a winner, Christophe Laporte. A perfect way for Laporte to finish the season. And the fact that he he got the win ahead of Wout Van Aert. Another second for Wout Van Aert. I think that's his eighth or his ninth for the season. We can talk about that in a moment. But at the start of the year, one of the biggest wins for Christophe, Christophe Laporte was that win against Welbergham. And a lot of people criticised Wout Van Aert, Jumbo Visma and Laporte himself saying it was gifted to him. It's not that significant a win it was gifted to him. There was no gift here. He beat one of the best guys of the generation, Wout Van Aert, to get the victory. Bold move to be able to take the win. And since he's joined that team, he's a completely different athlete. Laporte was good at Cafetus. Now he's one of the very best. He has been sensational for the last two years. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in the European Champions jersey next year. Yeah, it'd be beautiful as well. And uh, we'll talk in a sec about how dominant uh, the, the Dutch outfit Jumbo Visma is. Uh, but also, I like what you say about Laporte um, because... He's a changed man. And you're right, mm. he was good when he was at Cofidis. He was in the top 10 pretty much every time in every sprint. But it just proves that how the professionalism of a team, the so-called a program and how they run the riders, can make such a difference. And, and those 1% difference make, make a difference in the end. And it's all the things that actually aren't on the bike that make the big difference as well. It's the stuff that, as an athlete, doesn't require talent, but requires discipline. And... The confidence in the discipline comes from believing in the support staff that you've got around you. And I'm sure that the support staff at Jumbo Visma is significantly superior to that at Cofidis. Even though the Cofidis team has done a lot right this year, that the best season they've had in a long time. A couple of stage victories at the Tour de France, breaking that drought from 2008. Stage win as well at the Volta de España with Jesus Serrata. That was sensational. But they're a long way from being Jumbo Visma. And... Now, I think for Christophe Laporte, if he's in a period where he's not going great, he backs the system. He has confidence in Jumbo Visma. But maybe when he was at the Cafetas team, if he went through a down period, he might have had more self-doubt, second-guessed, maybe not completely followed through and looked for another alternative. I'm just you know, hypothesizing, but that sort of thing can happen when you're in a team that's not getting a lot of good results. But if you're in a structure where they keep delivering results and you go through a down patch, you're back in the system and you're following the instructions. And look at the results of riders that, that go to that team. And Quick Step has been like that historically as well. And you see riders leave those big power teams and they don't get as good results. I'd be fascinated, it's not going to happen, but I'd be fascinated to see what would happen with Laporte if he left Jumbo Visma now and went back to Cofidis next year. Would he win half as much as he's been winning for the last two years? It'd be, I don't know the answer to that. It'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, I don't want to see that, though, if that's okay with you. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing here, though, is that they rode this European Championship, of course, a national team. Uh, and, and so Christophe Laporte worked for France, but not Jumbo Visma. But what you can see in this victory, because he went solo and he, he won solo, at, just on the line, but solo as a, 
uh, from, from the French team. He's the only French rider in, in the Jumbo Visma. But yet again, it's a French mm. win, but on Jumbo Visma. Yeah, the Jumbo Visma team, though, although it's a Dutch team and it's predominantly Dutch management, and they've got a few fantastic Dutch riders. You know, Robert Hessink is like the cornerstone of that team. You know, they've recruited Wilco Kelderman. Steven Kruisweik historically has been with that team pretty much forever in his career. They've now got Dylan Van Baler. But the, the big stars of the team, they've got a Belgian guy, Welt Van Aert, Christophe Laporte from France. They've got Jonas Vingegaard as the absolute superstar from Denmark. Primoz Roglic is from Slovenia. They don't, you've got Sepp Kuss is from the United States. They don't care about your passport. They care about your output both on the bike, off the bike, the culture that you bring to the team, the results that you can deliver, and the type of team player that you are. Passport is irrelevant. It is the international team. And then again, uh, Jumbo Visma also on the second spot of the podium with Wout van Aert. Uh, another second uh, placing for, for Wout van Aert. is uh, becoming the modern time Pulidor a little bit. Six time, I think, is on the, on the second step of a podium of, a, of an international race like this. How do you think he's feeling about all this? Because Van der Poel was his big rival, but then he's got beaten now by, another, by a teammate of his as well. Uh, how is he feeling, Wout van Aert? He's, he can't be super pleased about it. Well, in addition, in addition to all those second places, I think it's eight or nine second place finishes that he's had this season. In addition to that, he's had three or four, maybe five third place finishes as well. I'd rather be complaining about finishing second and third than finishing 20th or outside the time delay or finishing mid-pack. We're talking about one of the superstars of the sport. And he got criticised for all his second place finishes, I think it was last year or the year before, throughout the cyclocross season. And he said, yeah, but what about all the wins? And he's absolutely spot on. He's had a lot of big wins, but he's so close so often. And he's, he's always in the hunt. He's one of the most exciting guys to watch. I think the second place finishes that hurt him the most are the ones behind Natu Vanderpool, particularly at races like the World Championships. You know, second to him at the World Championships this year in cyclocross, second to him as well at the World Championships on the road. Wasn't he second to him at Paris-Roubaix also? You know, if he's going to finish second to somebody, Christophe Laporte he can deal with. Another second place finish to Matthew Vanderpool. It's not great for Van Aert, but it's great for us. It's the rivalry on the one-day races of this generation. And since they were aged 10 years old or something, because it's yeah. been going on for a long time. <laughs> T- talking about it as well, uh, and just diverting, and we talk about the, the women's race in, in a sec, but there's been this rumor going along as well about a merger between Jan Bovisma and Sudal. How, what do you make of it? Because uh, we know it's rumors, but there's no smoke without fires, as we say as well. I think it would be ludicrous. Imagine this, if we get uh, Remco Evenepoel added to all this leaders like almost too many cooks in a in the kitchen but is it realistic i hope not i think it would be terrible for cycling we need more balance between the strong teams there's always going to be a huge gap between the top few teams and the bottom few teams from a total energies or a cafetus some of those smaller teams intermarche compared to uae yumbo visma quickstep and the big powerhouse teams there's always going to be a big gap but we need a smaller gap between yumbo visma quickstep UAE, Ineos, Bahrain, that needs to be tighter. And as amazing as it was this year to see Jumbo Visma win all three Grand Tours and get first, second and third in the Volta de España, it's not great for the sport. The best thing about sport is competition, is a real contest and a tight contest. That's what really drags us in, is seeing a really tight contest. I think it would be terrible for cycling if Quickstep and Jumbo Visma merged because they would dominate the one-day races, they'd dominate the 
tours, the grand tours as well. And I don't want to see it. I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think it's realistic in just even one thing. Patrick Lefebvre will, <laughs> will have to shut up. He will have to shut up, and that's not that's not in his uh, in his DNA. You know? oh, can you imagine? Could you imagine if you were Richard Pluger or one of the key management <laughs> members at Jumbo Visma? And okay, you're now sharing an office with Patrick Lefebvre. Good luck. <laughs> Who's the boss? Sort yeah. out between yourselves. That no good. And Patrick's accustomed to being the number one honcho, and he's not going to settle for being the two IC. Yeah, totally, uh, totally agree. Okay, let's talk about the, the women's race. Uh, it's a Dutch win, uh, Misha Bredevold. Fantastic win, but again, the Dutch outfit SD Works, even though it's again a national jersey race, SD Works has been dominating all year, and a bit mm. like Jumbo Visma on the men's side. We've got a Dutch outfit as well that is dominating on the women's side, clearly. Yeah, Dutch cycling is incredibly strong. And historically, it has been. It went through a quiet period when Rabobank became Blanco and then became Belkin. It was pretty quiet then but with Jumbo Visma back in force and also SD Works. They just dominate the women's peloton. And in the European Championships racing for national teams, they still finished first, second and third SD Works. It was... Bredewald winning ahead of Lerner Wiebas, and then it was Lotte Kopecky in third place. But you know, Dutch cycling, you go to any world championships and a potential contender for a top five finish might miss out on making the Dutch national team. They're that strong. They're, you could put in the B team. You know, In Australian cricket back in the 90s and so on, they had Australia and Australia A. Netherlands and Netherlands A at the world championships would be a phenomenally strong team. One of the best things to come out of this year in the women's peloton has been the rise and the continuing rise of Lotte Kopecky. She's always been really good. She's won world titles on the track. She was one of the dominant sprinters. She's more from being a dominant sprinter to being one of the dominant forces of the professional peloton. She was sure she didn't win the Tour de France femme avec Zwift. Her teammate did, but Kopecky was the absolute star. She finished on the podium. She won the green jersey. That stage victory on day one was absolutely amazing. Her win at the Tour of Flanders in the Belgium National Champions colours, her ride at the World Championships. Belgium cycling in the women's peloton has been really weak in comparison to the Dutch peloton. And that's because of the lack of having a high-profile rider has been one part of it. And it's been a chauvinistic approach nationally in Belgium with just a focus on the men. But now Kopecky is a genuine superstar. There'll be a lot more focus on women's cycling in general, and that's going to inspire the next generation to come through, and Belgium cycling is going to get to where it deserves to be with the depth in the women's peloton as well. Whether it will reach the Dutch, this Dutch domination, we need some other strong nations as well to come along and challenge them. They've been amazing for three three decades, more. Yeah, and it's it's such a dominance as well that we remember we've got the, uh, the Paris Olympics next year as well, and we can definitely see the Dutch as well dominated on track and on the road and so it's, mm. it's not uh, we, we haven't seen we only seen half of what they could do <laughs> scary yeah. enough yeah and it's and it's not a it's uh, it's pure praise for them what the dutch are doing is amazing and it's not that we want the dutch to slow down is that we want some more competition from other nationalities <laughs> and including australia you know we've had some some really good results grace brown at the world championships and the time trial two years in a row so close um <laughs> you know but we we want more. And Amanda Spratt's been getting back towards towards her best. But looking forward to seeing the, the next young generation come through. Yeah, 100%. Okay, looking ahead uh, on, on uh, the calendar, we've got a couple of good races. But the one that is looming really ahead of us is Il Lombardia, the last classic 
of uh, of the year of the season. Mm. Uh, I mean, to put it bluntly, how important is it for Tadej Pogacar to back up and win it again to conclude a season where he didn't win the Tour de France? Uh, but would that be the cherry on the cake, or what? What's his state of mind right right now? Do you think, knowing that it's not a normal rider, it's Tadej Pogacar? Yeah, it's, well, he's on the provisional start list. Remco is down on the list to start. So I'm looking forward to seeing Pogacar versus Evenepoel. But honestly, for Tata Pogacar, does it matter? If I was, even though he's, you know, he's won this race, defending champion, if I'm team management at UAE Team Emirates, I'm not all that worried about Lombardia. And if it was in the best interest of the team to win the Tour de France next year, for him to currently be on holiday and having his off-season, I'd be telling him to have his off-season now and skip the race. But... He's a natural-born racer, and he doesn't necessarily... He holds the Tour de France as the most important race on the calendar, but he doesn't have it miles ahead of all the other races. He wants to win Spring Classics, like we saw with him at the Tour of Flanders this year. He wants to win Lombardia. He wants to win the Chook Raffle. He wants to win... Yeah, exactly. You know, he wants to win <laughs> yeah, the, the Billiards Contest. Yeah, the Rock competition, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wants to win the Billiards Contest down at the pub on a Thursday night. He, whatever competition he's in, he wants to win it. But I think... The best thing for UAE and for Tade might have been actually to pull the pin on the season after the World Championships and have a good rest because he's had a really challenging year with the crash that he had at Liège. He was in unbelievable form early in the season and put all the eggs into the Tour de France basket and see if he can win a third one. Yeah, this this whole question about next year and and you know we can debate about this, but will he need or does he need to change his approach? Do you think he needs to concentrate yeah. and focus? On this sort of front, this is now because the competition is not like it was two or three years ago. The level is went up such a level that now maybe his approach to that race needs to change. Yeah, if the Tour de France is the race he wants to win, his approach definitely needs to change, and he needs to be more conservative early in the season. And we saw it at Paris Nice early this year. He was the dominant rider at Paris Nice, and he got the better of Jonas Vingegaard, no problem. But Jonas wasn't panicked by that, not flustered at all. He was just on the schedule, back in Jumbo Visma and their training plan to have him ready for the tour. If Tade wants to win the tour, he actually needs to be more conservative, which is the last thing we want as spectators because he is the most entertaining cyclist I've ever had the privilege to commentate on. And I'd go as far as to say he's the most entertaining cyclist I've ever been lucky enough to watch. He is amazing. I love the way he goes about it. And for the season-long contest... Don't worry too much about the Tour de France today. Go full noise at Strada Bianca. Have another go at the Tour of Flanders. Do whatever you like. Race and race hard all season long. But if you want to win the Tour, take it easy. Have a break. Have a good off-season. Prepare with a little bit more consistency. The crash didn't help, obviously, and that was out of his control at the age, best on the age. But if the Tour is his target, he needs to be a little more patient early in the year. Yeah, 2024 shapes up with all this. When you look at it, uh, it shapes up to be one of the already on paper one of the best seasons we uh, we we will witness. Hopefully, uh, to conclude this podcast, you know, uh, because we haven't you uh, we haven't spoken to you actually that much in this podcast. What's been your highlight of the year? If it's if you have to pick one moment, it's a tough one. But if it has to be like one moment for you, what what defines if we if we had to put a picture on it? What defies 2023 for you? The Tour de, Tour de France Femme Avig Swift on the stage at the top of the Col de Tourmalet. That okay. will go down as an iconic moment, as a really historic moment. 
in cycling. And it was an amazing day. When we arrived there in the morning, clear blue skies. We kept hearing forecasts about the fact that the clouds were going to roll in and the temperature was going to drop. And I didn't believe it at all because the weather was perfect. An hour before the race started, the clouds start rolling in. By the time the race got there, visibility was 10 or 15 metres. And growing up as a kid, one of the images that really sticks in my mind was Delgado versus Roach in the 1987 Tour de France. And Delgado had a stage wrapped up. He was going to win by a minute and a half. He goes across the finish line and Roach appears out of the mist and he's only a matter of a handful of seconds behind him. And the images have stuck with me forever. And that was back in 1987. So that's you know 30 years ago, essentially. More. More than 30 years ago. Those images on the Col de Tourmalet will stick with the sport for 50, 100 plus years. They'll be the iconic images that we look back on as a highlight of 2023. Thank you, Matthew Kinnan. Thanks, Christoph. This was the uh, SBS Cycling Podcast, and uh, we'll be back for more next week. Until then, it's bye for now. 